Welcome. Thank you for joining us online as well. As I mentioned a while ago, um, we have a large number of people joining us today um, with all the craziness going on in our community with all the sickness. And I'm, I'm sure everybody in here knows someone who's sick and uh, we're praying for them and wish them well. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. There's three different passages of Scripture I want you to uh, put a finger in and hold. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. If you're taking notes, it might be quicker to write them down. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. And Mark 10, 17, 17 through 22. I'll go through those again. Luke 19, 1 through 10. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. Now this series that we've been in that wraps up today has been hopefully an encouragement to us it has been to me to do whatever it takes and as we break those down that we have been talking about it has to do with doing whatever the Bible says let's do that whatever we hear Jesus say whatever we read in Scripture that Jesus says let's do that whatever God is doing around us Whatever we see happening that God is doing around us, let's join him in that. It's an encouragement to really talk about whatever it takes, because whatever it takes is a real simple thing to say, real, real easy. Yeah, we'll, we'll just do whatever it takes. But when it starts happening and when it's needed, it starts getting really uncomfortable. That's what we're looking at today in three different stories that are familiar. The first one, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, uh, yeah, wait. I'm trying to keep up with all this. One through 10, a familiar story of Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able to, to because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it because began, all who saw began to complain, he's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. Lord, and if 
I've exhorted anything from anyone, I'll pay four times as much back. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. I believe one of the questions that we need to ask and we're going to look at three of them when we're looking at whatever it takes in the why the why do we need to do whatever it takes what's the point in whatever it takes we need to know Jesus number one and invite him to be the Lord and Savior of our life we must do whatever it takes to bring Jesus into our life. That we chase after him. That we look after him. What excuses and distractions can you come up with? I have many. I'm sure you have many. That distract me from doing the thing I know to be doing. Paul talked about it through the whole book of Romans. Though I know to do the things I should do, I can't do the all. It, it's frustrating. What is it? You know, um, sometimes it's just intentionality that we plan to do it that way. Our my experience, our experiences are all different. When when I was in college, we were going to eat group of friends of mine we were all going to eat we pulled up in the parking lot of a place to eat a restaurant that'll go nameless and there's this group of people like 75 or more people around this van I thought to myself what is going on over there so we drove around still trying to find a parking place we pull into a parking place. When we get out, this crowd is like moving over kind of like a preschool soccer match where the ball pops out, you know. The crowd moves over. The whole, the whole crowd's moving over toward the door. The crowd goes in the door, and we, I'm thinking, who is that? Some, somebody famous is in there, I guess, or who is that? You know, I'm the ambulance chaser. When the ambulance drives by, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, what's going on? I got to know. So I'm, I'm fascinated by these people. And as they're, as they're coming in or going into the, this restaurant, um, the crowd goes in too. So it gets really crowded in the front part of it. It's just overly crowded. And I'm thinking, I got to know who this is. So I'm like, we, you know walking down the wall you know trying to get behind everybody i'm going around the wall over uh, by the check-in station i stand up in a chair trying to figure out looking over the wall like what in the world who it flashes are going off you know it's mick jagger of the rolling stones as, as fascinated as i was with that it the 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 idea of I had to see who this was. That gives you a picture of Zacchaeus. Word came that Jesus is home. Jesus is here. 
And there's a crowd begin to follow him. Zacchaeus has to see Jesus. He's doing everything he can. He's the short guy. He can't see. He's always in the back. He climbs up a sycamore tree. And Jesus notices him. And he noticed Jesus. Don't forget both of those. Zacchaeus was desperate to see something happening in the crowd. Where is Jesus? Jesus recognized Zacchaeus. He was not a popular man by any means. Mostly hated, short, always behind the crowd, always left out, always pushed away. Zacchaeus may be the person like, at least for me, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. That's, that's, yeah, thank you. A familiar story that has massive implications. Zacchaeus pushed his way through the obstacles to see Jesus. And look what happened. Everyone's lives were changed. Everybody. Not just him, everybody. Zacchaeus not only meets Jesus, but gives his life to Jesus. Zacchaeus gives up the very thing he treasured the most. Money. Zacchaeus gives the people back the overcharges times four. Zacchaeus gives half of his possessions to the poor and the needy. I'd say it's obvious that Jesus changed his life. Jesus even says in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house. Whatever it takes means pushing through these challenges. The barriers, the obstacles, the bringing Jesus into your life, into lives of people around you, affecting everyone. Choosing Jesus to be the Lord of your life does not just impact your life. It impacts everyone around you. Number two. We all have friends that need Jesus. We must become a people that do whatever it takes to get friends to Jesus. Turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Verses 1 through 12. When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together. There were many in a room. Wait, which one did I do? No, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's right. Good grief. Since there were so many, even in the doorway, it was crowded, and he was speaking the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic 
carried by four of them, since they were able, not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on it, which the paralytic was laying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. But the, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived his spirit in the spirit. That they were thinking like this and within themselves and said to them, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say the paralytic to forgive your sins or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he got up, took the mat, and went out in the front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave great glory to God. We have never seen anything like this. How many of us would do whatever it takes to take a friend to Jesus? Knowing that you cannot heal them, you can't fix their problem. Desperate for Jesus. They couldn't get in the crowd because they're carrying a friend. They can't get in the room because it's too crowded. They see stairs to a roof. <laughs> they climb to the roof, cut a hole in the roof, and lower him down. We have to get him to Jesus. Now, there's a couple of things that are probably true, and I can only imagine. They've been to doctors. They've been to the healing pools mentioned in, in John 5. There are many healing pools of that day. Prayer was certainly there. I'm sure they did everything they could think of, and this was a last resort. We have to get him to Jesus because of all we've heard. These friends were carrying Jesus. I mean, these friends were carrying the par paralytic friend. I'm sure in desperation. I'm sure not knowing what to do. I'm sure not understanding that they're not focusing on themselves. They're, they're not trying to put together a plan like an organized plan. They're in desperation. They're not trying to do something orderly. They're not worried about interrupting the plan that Jesus had or anybody else inside that room. They were thinking one thing. We've got to get our friends to Jesus notice in verse 4 since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd <clears throat> they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on when Jesus saw their faith he said to the paralyzed man son your sins are forgiven I love this and you know why 
Because Jesus looks at the friends. Don't, everybody listen to me. Don't lose me here. Jesus looks at the friends and said, because of their faith, he looked at the paralyzed man and said, your sins are forgiven. He didn't look at him and said, your sins are forgiven. He looked at them to the friends. I would think the faith of these four friends inspired everybody in the room. Can you imagine how awesome it would be in that room to watch somebody get up who's paralyzed? The friends excited, of course, but everybody there would be, right? Not so much. The religious leaders in that room were not very thrilled. Several of them looking through a window. Probably started mumbling among themselves. Why is Jesus doing that, Scripture says? Why didn't he ask us? We're the leaders. Why did he not ask us? Does he not care about our rules, our policy, our traditions? Does he not care about that? The friends were not thinking that. Our lesson learned, don't get caught up in your religion. Become passionate about your relationship with Jesus. Help others around you become equally passionate as you are. Number three, Mark chapter 10. Turn with me. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. 17 through 22. As he was setting out on a journey and a man walked up, knelt down before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Not one... Not one is good except God alone. <clears throat> you know the commandment, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to them, teacher, I've kept all of these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go tell all. Sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Now in a time when probably all of us would love to be that person, armchair quarterbacking, I would have done this differently, you know. If I had all this money, I would be given to the poor. I, I would, he would already know who I am. No, don't, don't miss this. This one thing, don't miss the one thing. 
It was not about the money. It was about his heart. The heart of the ruler. These stories are often under, misunderstood or mischaracterized. When we read them, we see Bible story like kid, kid thing that I'm trying to take more out of an elementary truth. But when we talk about the heart and not about the money, it is not a preschool Zacchaeus story, the rich young ruler story. It's a story that should hit us close to home. I'll follow you, Jesus, but I, I have this job. I'll follow you, Jesus, but, but there's this relationship. I'll follow you, Jesus, if I could just keep this closet in my heart. I'll follow you, Jesus, but this is all I've ever known. There are hundreds of them that we've all thought at one point or another. Or we've talked to someone who is struggling with the very same thing. And as we dive down deeper and realize that this is 100% a heart issue. It's about who I am and who owns me. It's about our heart. It's about our life. It's about obedience. It's about faith. It's about a schedule. It's about plans. Over and over, all the things that come with working on our heart. That one didn't end so well. The rich young ruler left grieving. Last, I want to leave this thought with you. A question. Because in all these and whatever it takes and the whys that come with all the stories, there's an underlying issue. Do you hear God speak? Do you hear God speak? A mentor told me when I was in seminary, um, I was pressing in on several things. This was one of them about God speaking to me. How, how do I know? How do I hear? How, how do I? And a, a mentor told me this. I don't hear God speak audibly to me. It's much louder than that. It's about everything I do everything I see, everybody I know, everything I hear, everything I feel. It's, it is so loud when God is speaking to me. But there's characteristics of the things that I try to do so I'm hearing God. And what do those look like? There's distractions that destroy us. It doesn't enable us to hear very well. My wife, Julie, um, I have my favorite chair. I'm, I'm sure y'all have your favorite chair, right? I have a favorite chair, and, and so, you know, Julie comes down, 
And she, she, she sits down and starts talking to me. It's a pure accident that I have no idea she's talking. Um, because I'm thinking about something else. Whatever. It, it could be anything. I'm looking at my phone. Julie sits down and we start talking. She starts talking. And, and I go, wait. Go through that again. It's not on purpose. It's not, it's not I'm trying to tune her out. It means that I am distracted by something and she is trying to tell me something. So in a quiet time, when I'm going to sit down and I'm going to pray and I'm going to read and I'm going to rest in the Lord and I'm going to listen to worship music or some kind of preparation I'm trying to do, I'm trying to get ready for God to, to tell me something. I'm not going to just like fly by. Okay, I got three minutes and, you know, I'm going to talk fast, God. I got things to do. The distraction is often what kills the relationship between us and God. So when the best thing to do is when Julie comes over, she kicks me, you know, or <laughs> something, and says, honey, I need to talk to you about something. Turn off distraction and let's talk. Got it. I, I can do that. When God's doing that, he usually knocks me off my feet and says, you know what? You are not paying attention. You are not paying attention, and I'm going to do that. You, you, you better start listening. That's how he works in my life. A, a quiet time to look God right in the face. We take... We take children and students on retreats, Freedom Weekend, camps. Our staff is not brilliant enough, and I'm not either, to figure out when is God going to speak. So, like, let's plan the church calendar around, you know, it looks like God's going to speak right here in July. And God's going to speak in February, so let's do this. It doesn't work like that. And I've actually been asked that. So I didn't come up with that on my own. I've been asked that. Why is it these kids go off and they come back and God just does so much? It's not because we're brilliant at planning. Our staff doesn't sit down and go, when is God going to speak? God is constantly speaking. You know what the difference is? distractions the idea is to get away from the distractions and hear God so clearly so plainly here's some tips on hearing God position yourself close to God Samuel set up his bed in the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was. We read about in Scripture that he positioned himself close to God. He wanted desperately to hear from God. Plan a place of regular service to God. Number three, be still and listen for God's voice. That goes back to that quiet time. 
Maybe even spend a little bit of time preparing before you spend the time with the Lord. Number four, when God calls, respond eagerly. Number five, when God speaks, obey Him. Instant obedience. There should be no lag time. When you hear from God, that's one thing about the, the Old Testament. My D group, um, we read through the Old Testament and just started marveling at the, the children of God that were wandering aimlessly in the desert and all the things God was doing to speak. A pillar of fire, a pillar of fire, and God's voice tells them something. And they're like, meh, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. If God is telling you instant obedience. Number six, read, study the word of God. God is constantly speaking and uses his word. The holy scriptures, the Bible, the owner's manual for life. Read it cover to cover. Over and over and over. How can we get enough of it? And yet, statistically, almost 80% of believers never read the Bible. Never even look at it. How do you hear from God without reading the Bible? God speaks to us. In John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. He is constantly speaking to us. So as I wrap up, as the band comes back up here to join me, let me summarize a couple of things. One is, what the Bible says, let's do that. Whatever the Bible says, let's do that. Whatever Jesus says, to us through scripture, through our prayer life, through wise counsel maybe that somebody's come to me and I'm praying about that. Let's do that. Whatever God's doing, whatever is happening around us that we sense God is working, let's join him there. Why is it important? Because we all need Jesus in our lives. And number two, because our friends and people around us need Jesus too. And when we accept Jesus and the call of Christ on our lives, we carry that message. It affects everybody around us. Never discount it. Oftentimes, we're not even on God's timetable. Oftentimes, people go, I've been praying for something for two years and it just doesn't seem like God's hearing me. No, he's hearing you. Two years of blip on a screen with God. Maybe God's been working in somebody's life and you've been praying for it and God's doing so many things in their life and you don't even know it. All we're required to do is to be faithful. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. 
three stories that are familiar to us. In the Bible for specific reasons. Help us to draw from that today. Give us freedom. Don't allow us to sink in bondage of sin. For it's in your name that we pray. Amen.